Before we get underway here, I just want to acknowledge the recent terrorist attack in London, Ontario, where a Muslim family of five was run down by a man in a pickup truck because of their faith. A grandmother, mother, father, and daughter are now dead because of this attack, while the young boy, as of this recording, is in serious condition but expected to survive. Now, I could sit here behind my mic and do my absolute best to convince you that this was an isolated incident and that this isn't representative of the country at large, but I can't do that, nor should I, or anyone for that matter, even attempt to. The only way change can occur is if we admit Islamophobia exists in our society, and we play our part in combating it, while also demanding action from our leaders to do so as well. That's a big damn problem when you can't go for a walk wearing religious headwear and not be afraid that someone is going to kill you because of it. Thoughts and prayers only go so far. We have a lot of work to do. Attacks and losses of life like this cannot be swept under the rug. I stand with the Muslim community and am truly sorry to those who have been impacted by this latest tragedy. Welcome to the Walder Sportscast with your host, Chris Walder. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 44, the Andrew Nicholson shout-out Saga City of the Walder Sportscast. I'm your host, Chris Walder, and you can catch me over on the Twitter sphere at Walder Sports. Same for Instagram as well. And if you enjoy today's show and you feel like supporting the podcast, leave a rating and review when you're done here because it helps more and more people find the show and allows us to get bigger and better. And of course, today's episode is brought to you by DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. They have free-to-play pools every day of the NBA playoffs with a free shot at winning up to $10,000. All you have to do is download the free DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for the chance at winning some cash. Answer a handful of straightforward questions concerning that night's slate of games. It's as simple as that, and it's safe, secure, and reliable. So download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings pool page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings.com. On today's show, I'll be joined by someone who I consider to be one of the top basketball writers in the country in Katie Heindel, whose work you can find at Uproxx, the Dishes and Dimes podcast, the Uh Basketball podcast, Yahoo Sports Canada, and several other outlets. I've never really had the opportunity to interact with her. I chatted with her briefly when we did the Raptors group chat recently, but this will be the first time we can go back and forth, which I'm excited about. Her basketball knowledge is vast. And again, her writing is right up there with the very best in the industry. I hold writers like her, Yasmin Duale, Joe Wolfon in very high regard, and I believe she recorded another podcast right before doing mine, so I'm truly appreciative of her time. But before I bring Katie on, I have to throw a cheap plug your way. It, it helps pay the bills around here, of course. So if you haven't had the chance to already, episode 43 of the Walder Sportscast with Jordan Hales, the returning Jordan Hales was a total blast. A lot of hockey talk, especially the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm happy for the Montreal Canadiens, don't get me wrong. They're in the conference finals, but 
damn, man, it could have been us, a lost opportunity. But Jordan dabbled into all of that. We chatted about LeBron James being eliminated from the playoffs. We got into his time working under Lily Singh. It was just a great interview, an even greater guy, so check it out when you can. With all of that being said, though, Katie Heindel will be joining me after this short break. So keep it locked. Perfect. Joining me now is Katie Heindel, an NBA features writer for Up Rocks, a host of both the Dishes and Dimes and A Basketball Podcasts, and the brain behind the Basketball Feelings newsletter as well. Katie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, man. Running down everything you do in basketball media, and there's a ton of stuff I didn't even mention, a number of other sites where your byline appears on top of the other podcast appearances that you make, you know, video, radio, television spots that you do. How do you kind of keep yourself from getting too overwhelmed? Is it ever difficult to kind of find a balance with your workload, or are you just in a zone where you can churn out content like it's second nature to you? (laughs) I will say there's almost like two answers to this question because I think pre-pandemic, I was the kind of person who, I guess I also have like a deep guilt complex about not being busy and working. (laughs) Um, So pre-pandemic, I found like the more I had on my plate, the more I was capable of handling. And then like during the pandemic, just to be honest, like I've totally, I found it harder to write, especially I found like it takes me twice as long to write something. I don't know. I think that's just like our brains going through it in a way we don't fully understand yet. But I try and do my best, especially like I'm now full-time freelance. You know, I've always had like other, I've always like worked and written, but now I'm full-time freelance. And I think, you know this, like you sort of have to get decent at setting your own boundaries in terms of like how much stuff you take on, what your schedule sort of looks like um, in any given day, especially Especially to be fair for the people in your life that aren't uh, as embroiled in it as you are (laughs) and just to be like a decent person to still be around so I think I'm doing an okay job of striking a balance but I've gotten better maybe because of the pandemic and just this sort of sense of fatigue and burnout of like carving out days here or there where I'll just read or I'll just like not even try and engage with basketball whatsoever (laughs) i was going to say are there specific things that you do to kind of combat writer's block especially during a pandemic like you said where you know our brains could be a little bit fried um i'm a big reader so like yeah i'll I'll usually like reading authors i love or just like good books will kind of trigger something in my brain which is nice like i'm i'm unfortunately not the kind of person that can like take a lovely stroll and like (laughs) tune out because i'll just be like i'm over analytical so i'll just be processing things while i'm outside walking kind of defeating the purpose of the walk i also have like a small ceramics practice like a small pottery studio that i'm a member at so doing that helps that's also i've had to cut back a bit in the pandemic just because of access and safety but i think that always helps because it's the kind of thing where if you're not actually focused on what you're doing you'll just mess up because it's all about like hand feel and just like literally centering is like a term Mm -hmm. in part like when you center the clay on the wheel but like 
this sounds so corny, but like <laughs> there's something about that that is very centering because if you do it wrong, you'll never kind of get the thing where you need it to be. Um, <laughs> so you kind of have to clear your head. So I guess that's pretty meditative as well. Is there ever a thing, I, I know this is such a lame question, but I think it's like a joke on community as well. Is there a thing in ceramics classes where they do like the ghost scene where someone <laughs> stands behind you and they put their arms around you and they start singing that song? Has that ever happened? No, that's never happened to me, which is probably for the best. But like, no, I, the, the, actually the person who taught me, um, went on to open his own studio. Like I learned at like a YWCA class, uh, and the person who taught me, he went on and, and opened his own small studio. So he's like, he was a great teacher. He would kind of stand over and point at things, but never very intimately, like too intimately, uh, around my body. <laughs> Close enough anyway. I just wanted to see if that reference stood the, the test of time. But uh, I, I noticed recently as well, you wrote this piece back in March for Uproxx entitled Contact Tracing, the Curious Case of Soft Tissue Injuries in the NBA. And it was brought to the forefront recently again because I believe it was Baxter Holmes recently released a very similar story for ESPN. When you see stuff like that, and I know your Dishes and Dimes co-host Kelsey brought attention to it as well, how does that kind of make you feel in the moment? Is there any animosity at that point, or do you just chalk something like that up to coincidence? I mean, there are coincidences, I think, in our field, because one, we're all watching the same game, we're kind of getting into the same storylines, the same rhythms, like we, we do notice the same thing. So in terms of stories like about player development or team development or like team storylines, that kind of stuff... I feel like that's more fluid and like if you you're going to overlap with people inevitably the whole contact tracing series though to be totally honest with you was a real labor um there's three store like there's three investigative stories in the series the soft tissue injury story was the middle uh, release but i had been working on those since kind of like in the bubble because the first story was about the challenges and pitfalls of remote media and kind of the psychology of remote media, what it was doing to players, what it was doing to media members as well, how it was kind of impacting the nuances of conversation. So right. that started all the way back in the fall. The soft tissue story also started around then because I was trying to find experts to talk to. And I have to be honest, like it was difficult to find people to speak with because a lot of them were either wary of going on record and saying, yeah, like I'm noticing a, a problem here. A lot of doctors and scientists too, like to, it's not to their detriment, but they're like, their professions are all data-based. So a lot of the times it's like, yeah, maybe we see something, but we can't know for sure until the season's done. And in some cases, like in a year or two from now, just given like they've got to get all the info before they make like a concrete thesis or an argument. So yeah, when I did find people willing to talk about it, including one was like the Bucks ex-doctor, he was ex-team doctor for about 10 years. Um, and then another one was a guy who lives, he's a doctor who works uh, in Italy and he works a lot with soccer teams where he noticed the soft tissue injuries kind of spiking at the beginning of the pandemic earlier because they were in it before the NBA was. Um, mm -hmm. So basically what I'm trying to get at is that it was a lot of work. And I think something like that story specifically, first I was sort of like, I'll be honest, like a part of me was like, eh, it might just be a coincidence because coincidence, yeah. it was brought to my attention by a couple people but the more i thought about it the more i was like no you know what like i chased this story and i worked extremely hard on it and i think it felt too close because it's quite easy now to look back and have more data because now we do know i think it's more common 
like commonly accepted that, yeah, there were a ton of soft tissue injuries. They did only increase towards the end of the season, which is the same information I was getting from the people I spoke with, is that in the NBA, these injuries tend to track up like toward the toward the end of the season, toward the playoffs. And that now you could kind of make that criticism of the NBA while also like not really like calling out the NBA. And I did call the NBA out in my stories. Like that was the whole yeah. point of that series was to just be like, what is the point of this season? Like there's something much larger we have to reconcile here. Um, and I think what, what Baxter did is like, he just kind of focused on one part. He didn't really like, it was just more of like a glancing over, but like the bigger point of that. And I think what was a bummer, like was the fact that it's an access thing, you know, like yeah. if you have kind of like the SPN cred or like the SPN email, one, you can just like cold contact people. They'll be more willing to talk to you too. Inevitably, you've got a ton of contacts built up that might have been like, yeah, you know what? Like, I can't talk to you now, but like, let's talk when the season's over. And in some cases, when teams are out of contention, because it's going to be a less of like less of a risk for those people to talk. Maybe they don't even go on record with their names, right? But like, to me, that's not really reporting. <laughs> You're just yeah. kind of leaning on contacts and just asking them to kind of do you a solid. So I have to say, like, I think I'm pretty fair in terms of like idea stealing or whatever, because it's such an insular industry and you know this too. But with that specifically, just because it was such a labor, I mean, sometimes love, sometimes like frustration and difficulty. uh, It was a bummer to see it. Would you ever at, at any point want like maybe a hat tip or just some sort of acknowledgement that your piece was out there in the first place? But it, it was very cool that, you know, Kelsey, your Dishes and Dimes host, was able to say, hey, this story was done several months ago. And now from the sounds of it, the amount of work and, and labor that went into your story compared to someone who may have more contacts working for an ESPN. I mean, it's night and day. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was great. Like Kelsey stepped up, Dime stepped up too. Um, a few other people, like the one of the doctors I spoke with called it out. Like people were kind of flagging it and calling it out. Do I know that he saw it? I don't know, Baxter followed, but like he also has like hundreds of thousands of yeah. followers. So like to him, maybe it's just kind of a drop in the bucket. That said, like I said in like my tweet that I, when I raised it initially was just like, you know, I legitimately don't mind more attention being drawn to the issue. Like that's never been my, that was not my problem with it because I think it's a huge problem that the NBA is facing. And now that they're facing year over year, like, I think it's great we're bringing attention to it. But yeah, like a collegial kind of nod would be nice. Like you can out like (laughs) an outlink, like hyperlink me, dude, like, it takes like three (laughs) seconds. Doesn't take a lot of effort. Absolutely. No. Um, I've brought this up with other hosts of Dishes and Dimes in the past who have appeared on my show, and a recent Twitter interaction in which you were tagged kind of brought it back to the forefront for me, and I believe it was a female Portland Trailblazers fan shared your piece from Basketball Feelings on the team being eliminated, and an obvious troll chimed in saying, quote, well, you've never played basketball and you've been watching the league for five years. Why would I ever take a recommendation from you, unquote? And I've chatted about this with previous guests, but Katie, are there ever moments in the industry where you feel like you have to try harder just because you're a woman, especially on social media where trolls can be extremely vocal? Yeah. And that was Ashton. Uh, who's like a big like she's part of the flagrant magazine team like she knows her stuff she was just like sharing it because she liked the story so this the guy's logic I loved like tracing the logic with her in our dms because I was like what is the logic does he does he find it's like 
you got to be born <laughs> watching <laughs> basketball. Right. Because it's just like, that's, it's not a valid point otherwise. Like everyone has come to it at some point. Like you're not a lifer in the sense that like, it was new to you sometime. So to me, it's kind of invalid. Like, as you said, it's just sort of a troll move. And yeah, like it's something I'm always cognizant of, whether it's remotely as things have been for the past year, whether it's um, going into locker rooms or team scrums, just this sense that you've got to be twice as prepared and kind of know your stuff twice as much as like your male counterpart or male colleagues. Like it, it's, it sucks. But I also can't say I've known a time, I mean, in sports media, but kind of in any profession that I've ever had, or mm -hmm. I didn't have that knowledge. It sucks that it's secondhand, like it's actually very depressing, but I think it's just a thing that most women carry around with them just by virtue of like having to interact and be in the world. <laughs> you had this tweet in March of last year as well, and I quote, it is both wild and both depressingly not that you can write a feature on the most middling players in the league and get more attention than writing about woman, any woman, let alone a woman with more basketball experience than a dozen of said players, unquote. And and that that came on the heels of a story you wrote about Jenny Busick, who's currently mm -hmm. an assistant for the Dallas Mavericks. From pieces you've written, or perhaps from the outside looking in, over the last year since that piece was written, have you kind of seen a growing interest in women's basketball coverage, whether it's the WNBA or women involved with the NBA? And if not, is it just a matter of continuing to boost the coverage and, and stories until it where it needs to be? It's kind of like a double-edged sword, because I do think... There's been an uptick, certainly. I think like more people are genuinely into the WNBA. I think the fact of their season, their bubble, their wobble starting around the NBA's uh, Orlando bubble did help because people were just stuck inside and watching it. I also just think on social, you know, we're seeing so much more, like people are just embracing it a lot more. And I think that yeah. stuff unfortunately carries more than maybe we'd want it to. Um, but if it makes, like if it brings more attention to the WNBA, then that's fantastic. But yeah, like the, I don't even know. This is the thing, like, I don't even know what made me so mad about that. But I can already think of just like, you know, like there's, oh, a player has like a hot shooting streak. There'll be like 10 stories about the same thing. Um, yeah. And they'll all just kind of like, they get so much attention. And it's like, you you know, that feature that I wrote on Jenny, like, she's had a phenomenal, like, she's had a crazy, she's a crazy backstory. And she's had a phenomenal career, both as a player and as a coach. And just in like, the way that she approaches her life, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And like, yeah, part of that is, of course, just being like, I think there's a lot of value in this thing I wrote. There's a lot of value in her story. But I think more so, people just tend to kind of glance over women's stories. I don't know why. I think they're thought of as maybe like being less worthwhile, less intriguing, less interesting. I do think that's changing. I think there are more women entering into this field, which is fantastic. But I also think they're still kind of gatekeeping. And right. they're still this sense of um, you can really only get so far. Some of it is tokenism, you know, like some of it is like, all right, we'll, we'll throw you a bone and we'll have like a woman kind of on this, like the all women, like, um, like announcing panel for the Raptors for that game yes. is a good example because 
it was fantastic. And like anyone listening would like, you didn't notice. And that's the whole thing. Like when that kind of stuff actually happens, you're like, you don't, this doesn't, it's great. And we should celebrate it, but it also can just be the most regular thing. You know, like it was just coverage and they did a fantastic job, but like they would have just done that anytime they were given the opportunity, but it's like making the opportunities so more, much more normalized that like we don't notice them as much because like they're just, they're, we're just used to them. I think we're a far way off from that, unfortunately. I mean, hopefully in a perfect world, this next upcoming Raptors season, you bring up that all-women's broadcast against the Denver Nuggets, which was one of the highlights of this crazy Raptors season. We, I think I speak for a lot of Raptors Twitter when I say that we hope that that's something that isn't just a special occasion. That is something that we can see more so on the regular. Do you kind of envision that being, you know, having more than one game next season where we do have an all-female telecast? Because I think that was a major success. Yeah, I hope so. And, you know, I hope, like, to go back to my earlier point, I hope when they do it, they just do it. <laughs> like, maybe yeah. announce it the first couple times but it's just like it's just like how you know you've come to know like you know in canada we're a little limited but it's like all right is this like tsr sports that and then like are we gonna have leo are we gonna have jack you know like you don't, yeah. they don't announce that it's just like it's just a given so something like that where it's like they just work it into the regular coverage because i think the more that's what i mean when i say it's a double-edged sword because the more you draw attention to it the more people look at it as like oh this is a one-off like, this mm -hmm. is just, like, um, an exception. And it shouldn't be an exception. It should just be a thing that, like, we're coming to expect. And to a degree that we're holding broadcasters, teams, like, everyone in positions of power accountable for that. Well, are we going to be seeing Katie Heindel behind the mic for a telecast? Maybe get the Dishes <laughs> and Dimes crew on the on TSN for a Raptors game. I mean, I don't wield that kind of uh, weight yet. But, <laughs> I mean, I will be honest, like, and to, to, like, toot our own horns, to get Dishes credentialed this season was amazing. You Absolutely. know, like, that was something where I think in conversations um, I had with, like, the Raptors comms team, like, they acknowledge they need more uh, diverse voices, specifically women's voices, in the room when they when there's like like either at games going forward or in any of the virtual scrums that they had this season. So yeah, I hope we continue with that, and I hope that we all are credentialed for games whenever. Well, hopefully this season, but whenever the team gets back to Toronto. <laughs> I want to quickly shift gears here because there is a ton of basketball news to discuss and I certainly trust your basketball opinion more so than my own. Uh, we're obviously in the thick of it with the NBA playoffs. We're recording this on Thursday afternoon. So game three between the Bucks and the Nets goes down later tonight. And obviously the Bucks winning at home and getting themselves back into this series would change the narrative a bit. But Katie, from, from what you've seen over two games of this series, Brooklyn's dominance without an injured James Harden in the lineup. Ha has this series been more so about how amazing Kevin Durant is and the, and the Nets as a whole? Or has it been about the inability of Giannis and Tentacumpo and the Bucks to kind of keep pace with them? It, I think it sucks for Giannis, man. Like, I think he is kind of being held back to a degree by... Like the overarching system he sort of has to go to work in. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, to me, to me, the most notable thing, and I keep going back to this, but it was like what Giannis said after the 
heat series which was like he made the joke like we don't want to play with our food and then now to see the nets kind (laughs) of trounce all over them in this way that like you know when you're watching a game and you're like this team is just having fun like this team could be playing anyone they're not even aware of their opponent they're trying stuff out like blake is dunking again you know they're just doing (laughs) these wild lobs like it doesn't even look precise it's just like fast flinging and like fun basketball to me that's a bad sign for the bucks because (laughs) you don't have hard in and these guys are just kind of figuring out what like the nets are just like oh like let's just try some stuff see what works for us like this team isn't slowing us down so it's i i I really like durant i know he's got a, a couple a couple maybe more than a couple detractors but it is really nice to see him uh, on a team that values him and wanted him and where he can just kind of be his weird self uh, mm-hmm. on the floor. Um, same with Kyrie. It sucks that Harden is potentially more hurt maybe than they're letting on. We'll see. But it's a tough match. Like it would have been a tough matchup for the Bucks either way, but I don't think that Miami series really set them up. Um, I think maybe they over <laughs> exaggerated where they were at. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with Bud. I feel like that, like, I won't even warrant a guess there. <laughs> I'm not sure. Like, I, I don't know how you can be that stubborn through this many postseasons. And, yeah, it's just like, I don't know how you actually can be. Even, like, when you look at the landscape of the league, like, everything is so accelerated. Everything has to change. And even the fact that it is, like, a copycat league for coaching He's just like, you kind of get the sense, like, I wish he would copy from someone. <laughs> like, I wish he would <laughs> take a hint from another team, but I don't know. He's not. <laughs> well, we'll say the Bucks go on to lose the series in, in maybe a sweep or, or five games at the very least. That would mark the fourth time in the last five years that Milwaukee has been bounced in one of the first two rounds. And obviously, you and I remember very vividly in 2019 when the Raptors won four straight after going down 0-2 the Bucks in the conference finals. What do you think the next step would be for the Milwaukee Bucks if they go out in that fashion? Because they're obviously fortunate to have Giannis locked in through 2025, I believe. But where do you think they go from here? Is it a given that maybe Budenholzer would be gone? Do you, do you look to move Chris Middleton? What's, what's the next steps? I think Bud's out if they don't make the finals, which it doesn't look like at this moment in time they're no. going to. <laughs> <laughs> um, because... I, like, and I'm not even one of these people who's like, yeah, you got you got to get rid of the, I think people are getting rid of coaches way too quickly um, than they need to, because sometimes like you don't really know the impact of a coach until like five, six years into their tenure with a team, especially given the kind of turnover the Bucks have had around their core. So, but I do think in this case, there's just too much frustration there, um, mm-hmm. especially with Giannis. Like, I do wonder why he hasn't improved in ways I think we we all expected maybe a season, two seasons ago. Um, his game has stayed kind of two-dimensional. I mean, we've even seen bursts of like better improvement from some of the Raptors, like secondary players than we have from Giannis, who's, he is a superstar. Like I'm not knocking his abilities, but I like, can you imagine him in a system? Like I, I'll use the closest example, but in like a Raptors development system or just in any oh, system <laughs> that <laughs> focuses on player development overall, right? And yeah. like works on some of these intangible things that I think he just hasn't been asked to do. And those are the things that are going to improve his game. And so I think it sucks to see him in this position because, you know, players' careers are finite. There's only so many years where they're improving. Um, unfortunately, like it, where it makes them valuable or less valuable in this kind of binary way that 
we are forced to look at players through that lens, but mostly like you wouldn't want it to limit where he can go from here Mm -hmm. or just to have the sense that like, what, what did we miss and what did he miss out on if he doesn't have that? So I think in that sense, like given all those facts, I think a new coach for Milwaukee is the best bet. I don't know who it should be (laughs) because coach, like the coaching pool in the NBA is also something that's a bit stifling. It's super insular. It just seems to be shrinking like every season. We just get the same like handful of coaches shuffled into roles kind of one behind another. Um, And I don't think that's really good or indicative of forward momentum either. Is there a coach right now in the free agent pool that, you know, that have been mentioned for some of the other openings in the league that you think would be a seamless fit? For the Milwaukee Bucks that you think would almost be an upgrade over Mike Budenholzer. And that's not to say that that Bud is a bad coach. It's just he may have maximized his potential with with this Bucks roster. Is there anybody else that you think can fit in to that head coaching spot? I mean, I am incredibly biased, but I do think Becky Hammond would be a fantastic coach for either the Bucks or the Blazers at, sure. at this point. I think the Bucks more so because, yeah, I know she doesn't have, quote, head coaching experience, but when you look at a lot of the coaches being floated for head coaching jobs, like Jason Kidd really didn't at all until he was given a shot, and then I don't think it did anything for his track record. Um, and she's been behind. Like, she's she's had so much responsibility on that Spurs team for so long. And like, just when you look at the way that the Spurs are kind of made up um, and just like this kind of really regimented defensively minded system, it does kind of align with what the Bucks I think, think they are and are working towards. So I, I don't think that it would be like out of her depth whatsoever. I actually think like no job is seamless, but I think her intuition and approach to the way she sees the game would fit really well there. And like a fresh pair of eyes isn't going to hurt anything in Milwaukee. Could you see any possible major cosmetic changes for a team like the Los Angeles Clippers as well? Because they did drop game one on the road. It was close, mind you. And I know Paul George didn't play very well. And Donovan Mitchell went off, of course. Not a big deal. Not the end of the world. But this is the Clippers we're talking about here. The Lakers are not around anymore to kind of shield them from the public eye and obviously it's out there that the Clippers have never been to a conference finals as well and the Jazz are obviously not a pushover they're very talented and and talented enough to beat them but if the Clippers lose Katie what kind of ramifications could we possibly see from that if any it's weird with the Clippers right now right because it's not even like they lack the talent or the supporting cast yeah Um, even more this season than last season it's like they lack the desire like when you watch paul george play and i'm not trying to pile on the slander there but like when you watch him (laughs) play it's with a real lack of urgency like it just they kind of seem like slackers you know even in that last series like yeah they went on to win it but it felt like it was because someone was like you know like you're gonna get eliminated guys if like yeah (laughs) if you don't win this and then being like oh like right right i think they don't really work well unless pressed and i i like tyler as a coach but i so i'm not sure if that's the problem i think you know i do think Kawhi needs a better like regulatory player around him like he does need a floor general in that sense like He's not, he's a great decision maker for himself, but all the decisions like on the floor should not run through him. He's just like not built that way. It's not how he plays basketball. He's kind of best when he's freed up to just like be the savant (laughs) that he is, you know? And like, we're so biased, but I really do think that's why it worked so well with the Raptors is because he had Lowry 
I don't want the Clippers to get Lowry, but they no. need they need somebody like that to like put all these disparate pieces together. And obviously they are trying to like crib some of the Raptors approach, you know, like <laughs> you get Kawhi, you get Serge. <laughs> like, okay, now you, now it's like I'm a little worried because yeah. they're like, okay, our last piece, it's Lowry. But <laughs> I don't know. There's to a degree like that team to me and the way that the kind of front office runs it is they've thrown a lot of money at the franchise, obviously, like they're building that huge new stadium. They're really trying to kind of like carve out this name and identity for themselves, but they may have kind of jumped the shark a little bit in that sense because the team is area. So I, like that's another weird thing um, because you look at them and you look at the way they've played all season, like their record should be so much better. If like Paul George was the guy that Kawhi wanted to go to the Clippers, why mm-hmm. is this the way that they play together? <laughs> are we too vengeful as a fan base here in Toronto? Because I know a lot of people on Raptors Twitter are gunning for the Clippers to get eliminated by the Jazz. And it's merely because, you know, Kawhi Leonard left, albeit on his own accord, to go home and play for the Clippers. But they also have Serge Ibaka. They're also kind of perhaps gunning for a guy like Kyle Lowry this offseason. Is it is it too much from Raptors Twitter? Should we kind of ease off? I mean, we did get a championship just a few years ago, after all. <laughs> I mean, people can hold their own, I think, degrees of, like, vehemence toward the Clippers. They're not a necessarily, like, likable team, honestly, aside from Kawhi and Serge, who are just ex-Raptors at this point. <laughs> yeah. But, no, I mean, if if that's how, if that's what makes you happy, like, go for it. The team isn't noticing. Like, you're not hurting anyone's feelings, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of likable teams, I, I was watching the Phoenix Suns-Denver Nuggets game last night, and the Suns are now two up in that series as of this recording, and I've been hit or miss on a guy like Chris Paul in the past, but he's been outstanding to open this series, you know, leading that young roster, barely turning the ball over, and then I looked at some of the other teams still competing in this year's postseason, and I thought, you know, damn, like maybe Phoenix is probably the best story should they go on to win the NBA championship. Would you agree with that assessment, Katie? Or if not, which team becoming a champion do you see being the best story from this postseason? I love the Suns. Like I do, to me, like a lot of people are just like, well, it's the Nets. It's got to be the Nets. But I'm kind of like, it could also be the Suns. They they kind of they do remind me in a sense not of the Raptors team in <laughs> how they were made up or how that season went right. but just as like the outlier right like the outlier with a lot of momentum that isn't going to be told you can't do it i also was a bit like touch and go on chris paul i liked him in his kind of lob city days with the clippers but i think it didn't really work out for him in the you know the trades that happened after honestly i wanted it to work out for him how it was worked out with the suns in okc but I think OKC was probably like a couple years behind where the Suns are at just in terms of development of that young core and just personnel overall. I think Chris Paul fits in so well because like Booker needs someone to yell at him <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> right. So does Aiton. Uh, um, and there's just like, there's just a joyful, like very fun and fast team to watch. Like, f- like Frank Kaminsky being a factor, <laughs> like yeah. Cameron Payne being a factor. I think like, Jalen Smith, I wanted the Raptors to draft him. Like, there's just so many. Oh, like Jay Crowder's like salsa dancing. They're just, <laughs> they're having a very good time. And something has clicked for them this season. And I think in the way that they've played in this series so far, they have a kind of momentum that 
like I think other teams should be worried about. Do you see any chance the Nuggets come back in this series? Or is not having a guy like Jamal Murray, not having a backcourt essentially, just too much to overcome for them? You don't want to like discount the Nuggets, especially Jokic, I think, ever. But missing Jamal, like he like he he does what Chris Paul does for the Suns for his team, you know, and I think they may just run out of juice at some point. Like, Jokic is a beast, and, like, he plays like no one else. It is impossible to guard him. Like, I've talked with players who try and learn from him because of the way he uses his ankles, not just the way he uses his body, which was always, like, it blows my mind when you listen to players actually talk about how they break down plays and how they watch tape, and it's, like, you got to pivot, like, an inch, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> pop right. your hip in this way. And But the way that they watch Jokic it's just so close and it's so studied because he understands how to like trap you in his angles and i think a lot of that gets lost people are just like oh he's big and he moves in a different way than like we've ever seen but like (laughs) he's he's very smart you know and he'll just like he will just trap you but he's also just one player so i think they have a chance i think they'll make it still a close series but i also think the suns are a little bit on a run right now I just also want to quickly go over some of the NBA awards here as well. I know the Rookie of the Year hasn't been announced yet, but Save Money is on Hornets guard LaMelo Ball. But we have Nikola Jokic recently being named MVP. We got Tom Thibodeau as Coach of the Year. Also from the Knicks, Julius Randle was most improved. Rudy Gobert as Defensive Player of the Year and his teammate Jordan Clarkson as the Sixth Man of the Year. Uh, Did any of those winners perhaps surprise you, Katie? And if not, which winner was the feel-good winner of this slate? Like, which result were you the happiest to see? None of them surprised me. I think they're all pretty deserved. Um, Probably Randall I was the happiest to see just because of the path he's had to get here. Um, And, like, getting that award on a team like the Knicks and this year, you know, and, like, everything that the Knicks have been through, like, pinning their hopes, I feel like, on a new like flashy and new player every single season. And then you get Randall, who's just this kind of like steadfast, really quiet, strong worker, you know, like he's not this flashy hero that I think New York thinks it wants, but he like did everything they wanted out of that player. So just to see him like get that kind of attention finally and get it in New York, I think that was wonderful. Also, I don't know if you saw, but like, his son giving him the award was so yeah nice. adorable <laughs> so cute um i think like yeah jokic is like that that's a given tibbs even there's there's probably a lot of coaches just given the fact that like this was such a mess of a season and i can't like it was difficult for i'm sure every player every coach every team to to get through but so that i don't know coaches like a part <laughs> of me is always just like you're you're a good coach but you're also only as good as your players and as good as your players are playing, you know? Maybe that's yeah. a cop-out, but that's how I feel in my heart. Um, <laughs> and then, like, who else? I think Gobert is just, doesn't he, don't you think he just expects them by now? He just, like, yeah. gets off a new place on his cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> just hand him to him at this point, you know? Mm-hmm. Would you say that Rudy Gobert at this point, you know, I believe it's his third defensive player of the year. Some people were saying this guy is a surefire Hall, Hall of Famer just because of his defensive player of the year awards. Probably, they're probably not done coming towards him by this point. He's still very young, probably has a few more coming his way. Is he building a Hall of Fame resume for himself? Yeah, but I also think that depends on how much stock you place in awards you know i I don't doubt that they are very important for players i think they're definitely meaningful and i definitely think they especially to mark i'm sure seasons that just kind of get lost in the shuffle of like 
really sometimes short and quick and extremely fast careers, sometimes really long careers with a lot of moves in them. Um, so I think they're important to players, but I think the value of like, is this person kind of an MVP? I mean, a Hall of Famer candidate rather because of the amount of awards they've garnered. I don't know that I would make that argument. You know, I'd rather see it right. for just like all around play and like team contribution. And like, if they, were they a really big difference maker? Did they like change the way that the game itself was played? To me, those are things I would look for more, but I don't give up the like the, <laughs> the Hall of Fame <laughs> positions, which is probably for the best, but because I'd be like, everybody, I get everybody in here. <laughs> well, um, if the Utah Jazz go on to win the NBA championship this season, <laughs> he may have a little bit more of a standing to get in there, true, of course. <laughs> true. <laughs> well, Katie, again, I, I thank you once again for doing this. I'm so happy we made this happen, but like I do on all of my shows, I do have some fun questions to send you on your way. Okay, should I be nervous? Is this like a trivia thing? Oh, no, it's not trivia at all. It's just some oh, fun God. questions that I'm sure you could easily answer. <laughs> okay, excellent. Trivia freaks me out. I don't know why. It just does. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll save that for another podcast if need be, but I promise you this will be fun. Okay, I'm ready. Katie, do you still have aspirations of opening a Rashid Wallace-themed bar called Bar Don't Lie? And if so, which moment or quote from his career would you want to base a signature drink off of? I forgot about that. And yeah, like, <laughs> that's buried somewhere deep down in my heart. I think, one, it would be an amazing bar. It doesn't have to be that flashy. You know, it's just kind of a, a workman's place to go. A little bit of a dive, still, you know, but like still classy. You're going to get treated well. I honestly think you could have, like, if it's not too much a play on, like, the bar name itself, you could have a ball don't lie kind of kind of drink. But it wouldn't sure. be a cocktail. I feel like it would just be a can of beer and maybe a shot. <laughs> very simple, very straightforward, which is the complete opposite of Rashid Wallace. Yeah, but like a really cold beer with some ice still, like, clinging to it, you know? That sounds very refreshing right now, I must say. Mm -hmm. It's it's getting pretty mild out here in uh, in Ontario, but I was going to ask, do you still receive Rashid Wallace photos on your birthday? <laughs> I do, <laughs> which is really nice. But I encourage it, so I don't know that. Um, yeah, I really encourage it. I hope people would remember, but I'm definitely like pl put, like playing a heavy hand there. <laughs> I ask everyone this on the show, Katie. I need shows to watch, good shows to watch. I'm curious what you found yourself binge watching as of late or what the last great program is that you've caught. Okay. I did watch Mayor of Easttown. Okay. Um, I did like it. I did enjoy it more than I thought I would. I'm not like such a crime show person. Another very depressing, ironically, crime show uh, is The Investigation which is okay. an HBO limited series. I also like that as well. Uh, I was re-watching Veep, which like honestly might be one of the funniest shows <laughs> that was ever made. It's Agreed. so good. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, like, I don't, like, not just like the whole cast. You're like, oh, this person's on it, this person's on it. It's like, you just kind of laugh every episode. So that's been like a nice bomb. I, f I go between like a serious show and then when you just need to like sit down and kind of melt into something, Veep's the way to go. So I'm looking into getting some ink this year, and I've said this maybe every year for five years now, but this time I really mean it. And <laughs> I've noticed that you have some ink of your own, several tattoos on your arms, in fact, and 
Now I'm an absolute wuss when it comes to getting needles, so, but, and I'm not afraid to say that, but what kind of beginner's advice would you have for someone looking to get their first tattoo? Should I be anxious at all? Is it all in my head? Don't be anxious. Um, for your first tattoo, there is a true thing that a lot of tattooists like say, which is it's either like, I forget the amount of hours, but it's like however many tattoos or like upwards of like hundreds of hours of tattoos, you hit a threshold where you experience much more pain than you would have. Right. So for your, but for your first tattoo, it's pure adrenaline. They just like start. The worst thing about it sometimes is the noise, like the gradingness of the gun. Okay. Uh, but like, no, don't be nervous. And if you have a good, if you like see someone who's good at their drops, they're gonna make you comfortable. They'll take a break if you need it. You don't have to be tough. I think it gets a weird rap of like being a tough thing. You have to just like sit through. <laughs> I sweat a lot when I'm getting tattoos. Um, <laughs> so like, it doesn't. It's like not a tough, glamorous thing. It can be a sweaty fun thing. So don't don't work yourself up about it too much. Is it one of those things where you get your first tattoo and then you almost become addicted? You want to get more and more? Yeah, I would say that. Oh, great. <laughs> <would say> that. <laughs> yeah. And I would say that probably happens more like, you know, later in your life. Like you should be happy you didn't get some really bad tattoos when you were younger. Because I think, you know, now you've had a lot of time, I'm sure, to think about what it is you want to get. So you've just got all those ideas stored up in your head. And you have, uh, I believe, a basketball with a sword or a dagger going through it on your arm. What's the story behind that one? Yeah, that's, uh, it says dunk contest. It's a dunk contest tattoo. Okay. Um, so I got that on Valentine's Day with my husband because ever since we met every Valentine's Day, because it coincided with the All-Star Game. I loved the dunk oh. contest. I was watching it before. <laughs> Um, but it would like we'd go, we'd go and like have a really nice dinner and like do some romantic stuff But we'd make sure we could go somewhere after and watch the dunk contest So we got tattoos together Yeah, I haven't gotten to that point in my relationship yet where I can ditch Valentine's Day And maybe like both of us can sit there and watch the dunk contest, but we'll see if I get to that <laughs> point But Katie are all hockey goals just funny accidents. They seem like it <laughs> like I know that, like, to me, I'm not saying it's an unskillful sport. To be able to just, like, skate and move that quickly and, that like, have that much coordination blows my mind. It really does. But every goal, it's just like, oh, yeah, it tipped off this guy's skate and this guy's stick. And then it kind of veered into the net because it hit the goalie's pads. And, like, when people are like, oh, he definitely meant to hit it in that exact quadrant, I don't buy it. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on the CN Tower shining Montreal Canadiens colors? Like, what would the Toronto Raptors equivalent of that be? Oh, did they do that? Yeah, they did. It, it was. It <laughs> went viral. They were showing, you know, in support of Montreal, and obviously being in Toronto, that's a big no-no. Yeah, that seems like uh, like they they didn't get hacked, right? Someone who like worked at the CN Tower wasn't like a Habs fan. Like that. Now seems I need to investigate. Bit, yeah. Yeah, that seems like a huge oversight. I get it. It's like we're showing support for the Canadian bubble and. Canadian teams, but it like the Habs are still playing a Canadian team, so I don't really understand. That does seem pretty disrespectful. Would that literally be like, you know, and I said this on Twitter myself, maybe adding the, you know, Lebronto to the big Toronto sign in downtown <laughs> Toronto. Would that be the Raptors equivalent or could we get worse than that? I mean, I'm not, like, I think that's a huge rivalry. I know it's like the Sens and the Leafs and the Habs and the yeah. Leafs, so yeah, I think like, Le like adding the Lebronto, though that would be funny. It would kind of, yeah. <laughs> a really and kind of like the shittier it looked, the better. Like if you just made some paper mache letters <laughs> and kind of rolled them up in the still of the night, and then people found them there in the morning, 
That'd be a pretty good prank. <laughs> Katie, what do you remember most about your courtside interaction with Doris Burke? She is amazing in Ooh. person as she comes off on the air. Not much because I feel like I blacked out. Um, <laughs> she, like, and I was like hyping myself up to talk to her the whole time and like waiting for a moment because she's working. That's the thing too. I yeah. was like, I was prepared for her to be like, Please don't, like, I'm working, I'm at work, don't talk to me. But she was so gracious and just, like, so kind. I just kind of stuttered through an introduction. Um, I'm also, like, I I guess I get really, like, I've never asked, I can't think of, like, celebrities I've been like, oh, can I have a picture with you? Like, I feel like that's not a thing I'd be comfortable doing. I know a lot of people are because they could just do it. I can't do it. But I was like, if I don't mark this moment for myself, Right. You know, like it was like a really seminal thing for me. So there was first just talking to her and then like having the nerve to be the loser who's like, can I take a picture with you? And like basically <laughs> almost crying. And then her <laughs> being like, yeah. And like me asking someone, it was funny because the person I asked who was part of their team, this must happen to them all the time. And they just kind of smiled knowingly. And we're like, yeah, I'll take your picture. <laughs> it was wonderful. I saw her again uh, at a game after that, like later that season. And she gave me a nod and a smile. So I don't know if she remembered me or she just does that with everyone. But I chose to take it as she remembered our my very awkward interaction with her. Oh, definitely. That was very specific towards you. You know, take that as the Doris Burke <laughs> seal of approval. I hope so. I also <laughs> remember, I will gush, that I shared with her. She was so gracious that she asked me what my thoughts were about the game. Oh, she, okay. She was like, are you working on a story? Who are you with? Um, I was talking to her. I told her, like, the idea that I had. And she was like, I really like that. I think that's a really good idea. She also might have just been being very kind. But I thought that was super cool because she didn't have to do that. And lastly, Katie, I've been asking this of my guests lately just to close things out and be as honest as you like. Tell me how you feel about Ontario Premier Doug Ford. Oh, he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> he's a coward. Um, yeah, I think he's a coward. He's a bully. Uh, I think he doesn't really know what he's doing. I think he's unfortunately going to get elected again because I think his base um, lives outside of the city and outside of a lot of the hardest hit uh, areas affected by COVID. Be that like Mississauga, you know, Peel. Like he doesn't, I don't think he really cares about people. I think he, that showed when he left at the height of the, like the most recent crisis and went campaigning and was raising like campaign funds in Sault Ste. Marie for himself. Yeah. So uh, yeah, he sucks, man. He's a coward. Um, I really, I can't stand the guy, but he'll, uh, and I think he's a faker. Like, what a grifter when he pretended to cry uh, at the press conference in his mom's backyard. Get a Yeah. <laughs> well, Katie, I appreciate the honesty. I appreciate the aggression towards Doug Ford. And more importantly, <laughs> I appreciate you coming on my podcast today. Thank you so much for doing this. You are truly one of the best basketball writers in the country today. I stand by that sentiment 100%. But before I let you go, just remind the listeners where they can find you and your work on the web. Of course. Well, first, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, this was fantastic. And you can find my work all over, but uh, I'm a features writer at Dime. Uh, I have a basketball newsletter called Basketball Feelings. Uh, it's basketballfeelings.substack.com. And you can follow me on Twitter if you choose at whatevs, W-T-E-V-S. Katie, you're the best. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks, man. And that was my interview with Katie Heindel. Go give her a follow on Twitter at W-T-E-V-S. 
And of course, subscribe to her Basketball Feelings newsletter and continue to support her on both Dishes and Dimes and Uh Basketball as well. I definitely feel better about getting a tattoo now. I'm sure my anxiety will arise, but sometimes you just need to hear from someone who's done it before. And like I said, when it comes to basketball, I trust Katie's thoughts a lot more than my own. Truly one of the best in the field today. This has been episode 44 of the Walder Sportscast. If you like what you heard today, may I encourage you to leave a rating and review when you're done here. And tell your friends as well that you can catch the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Podbean, and Amazon. For now, that's another one in the books. So as always, I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Walder Sportscast. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes and follow Chris on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports. <laughs>